0: Hey folks, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. Whether it's your first time or you've been here since the beginning, we are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual walk and look forward to all that Christ is doing in your life. If you are looking for more information about Christ Church or you would like to connect with one of our pastors or ministry leaders, you can reach us on our website, ccgf.org. You can also connect with us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Here is this week's message. Grace and peace to you. As we begin this morning, I want to tell you about a a new iteration of our prayer ministry that we're kicking off this morning. We're we're referring to this as our prayer and care team. And this is going to provide an opportunity in real time in this service, whether you're here in person or online. To receive prayer as a direct response to everything that takes place in this worship service. The music, the prayers, the fellowship, the word. Whatever it is that God may stir in you by his spirit and compel you to say, what do I do now? We believe prayer is a fantastic and appropriate next step, so to speak, for every one of us. And so this morning, at the conclusion of the sermon, when Brad and the team come back out here to lead us in a closing song... There are going to be people from our congregation, ordinary radicals, if you will, who are stationed in the back of the room, men and women, and they wanted to stand there and stand with you in prayer. Now, before you say, well, that's nice, I hope that somebody goes back there, but not me, would you be open to how God might work in your heart? You know, let's take away the stigma of, well, what would someone think if I walk back there and I receive prayer? Are they going to think that something's wrong with me? Are they going to think that I don't have my life right? Well, listen, let's normalize this. We all have something wrong in our lives. (laughs) We all are in need. And so we want to create a culture where it's very normal. And actually, it's a powerful step of faith to walk back and receive prayer. So be open to that. We'll talk more about that as we go through this time together in God's Word. Now, let's pray and turn our eyes to to the Lord and ask him to speak to us. God, we do thank you for this time together, for the singing. We do thank you, guys. We sang this morning. We praise you. And God, as we come to this place together to worship you, we now look to your word as as a part of that worship. And we pray, God, that you would teach us by your spirit, according to your word. That the story and life of Stephen would inspire us to live for you. So God, open up our ears. Open up our eyes. Open up our hearts. And teach us your ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are continuing in our series called Ordinary Radicals this week. And today we're going to be looking at a figure that I would say is a textbook, Ordinary radical. I mean, if we were going to pick one face to put on the, the banner, so to speak, or the billboard of the Ordinary radical series, I think this is the one. His name is Stephen. You heard a little bit about him. You're going to hear more in just a moment. We're going to look at this man, Stephen, and, and we're going to see a significant episode of his life play out. It's interesting. We don't know much about Stephen. All we know is, is what we find today in Acts chapter 6 and 7. That's it but it's significant. And it's significant, of course, for Stephen and all those who were part of his family and connected to him, but it's significant for the church as well, this episode, so to speak, that we're gonna look at. Incredibly significant to the church then and now. And I want us to take a look at the narrative, again, from Acts 6 and 7, there's a lot of ground to cover. And I wanna tell you, I wanna focus in, there's much that this passage has to say to the church. This passage has much to say about Jesus as well. And so I believe that there's going to be a clear takeaway for each of us as we go through this today. So would you open up your Bibles if you have it with you. Uh, you can read along on the screens, of course. The digital Bibles are encouraged. We encourage you to take some notes. Write something down. Whether you put that in your phone or if you just write it down on a piece of paper, we believe that God, by His Spirit, will speak to you through His Word. Things that I don't say even, the things that God says to you. So whether it's a word or a phrase or a sentence or a thought or a question, write those things down. Let's go to the word now. We're picking up in the New Testament book of Acts, which tells us about the history of the early church. And we're picking up in chapter 6. Let's go to verses 1 through 7 and get a little background on this man named Stephen, who I think you'll find to be a compelling figure. Beginning in verse 1, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing... And we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And they chose others as well. They presented these men, these seven, to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And the large number of priests became obedient. To the faith. So, again, here we have what I would say is essentially uh, the, the backdrop of the narrative of Stephen. And I think this is important to understand, of course, the context of what we're talking about today. But not only that, it gives us the context in the background, but there are some reminders that I think are very important to us. As a church and as believers, that we need to look at here today. And, and let's just quickly look at three reminders from this passage, this section, this introduction or background of Stephen, if you will, that I believe are important. The first one is this if you look at verse 1 and also verse 7, you see this that in those days the number of disciples was increasing. And skipping down to 7, the word of God spread, the number of disciples increased rapidly. And a large number of priests even became obedient to the faith. We see here that there's growth. Okay? And this reminder to us today is that growth comes in cycles. Growth comes in cycles. So let's consider even our own church body, Christ Church at Grove Farm. This church family was established 26 years ago by the faith and vision of people who love Jesus. And they planted this church and began this work and it grew rapidly. Many of you were a part of those days, and you've told me the stories. I love to hear the stories about the early days of Christ Church and the exciting things that were taking place. It was a season of growth. The church grew rapidly, much like the Acts Church did. And and you know, it's interesting, that season of growth is is juxtaposed with the season of the church that we've been in, not only here at Christ Church, but in America during the past two years. You see, the church in these days has decreased. And you know, I know there are many faithful people and and many who, though they're not a part of our physical gathering or worshiping online, we see you, we love you, we're grateful you're doing that. But we've seen the church shrink, so to speak during the past couple years due to the pandemic and maybe people having questions about faith or maybe wondering if all this makes any sense and if it's real and if it's helpful and so the church in this season has actually shrunk well here's what i believe i believe that growth as we see here reflected in acts and this reminder for us comes in cycles and what we're hoping for and what we're praying for is a time where the church grows again don't you want to see that Don't you want to see the church grow? And I'm not talking about people who have worshipped in a church that's closed its doors and they come to Christ church. Those people are welcome, by the way. If you're one of those people, welcome. We're not talking about people who maybe are dissatisfied with the congregation they're a part of for some reason. There's been a change in leadership, whatever it might be, and they come to Christ church. You're welcome as well, and we're glad that happens. That's not necessarily church growth, though. That's not church growth. We're talking about church growth. That's what's happening in the book of Acts, where even priests... Jewish priests were becoming followers of Jesus Christ. New converts, so to speak. Here's what we want to see. We desire to see people come to know Jesus. Mike was so right. Thank you, Mike, for that announcement. It's so good to be ministering with you. So glad to have you on the team. And I love the way Mike talked about the middle school um, outreach event we had, the, the all-nighter, that there were 25 young men and young women who came here and never walked into a church before. Now, now we're talking. That's some church growth. And that's what we're praying for. And so listen, we should be praying that God would bring us a new cycle of church growth. That there would be a sense of revival that the church would would come out of a season of being maybe decreased and increased. Don't you want to see that? We've got to pray to that end. Because, you know, we could do a lot of church strategizing. We could go to conferences to teach us about church growth. And those things are good. And there's good practices there. But we are dependent on God bringing this increase to us. And so listen, the church was growing in those days. We see it reflected here in the passage. We want to see the church grow again, don't we? We desire to see people coming to know Jesus. Let's Pray to that end. We need to be faithful in seasons of growth, in seasons of plateau, and even seasons of decrease. And we pray God will bring about a new season. There's a great reminder here in the scriptures. So that's one reminder we see. There's another reminder too. And that's this. It kind of goes along with the first one. The second reminder is that growth brings about and introduces new challenges in the church. And we see it here in the passage. You see there were two groups. Did you see the two groups? There are the Hellenistic Jews. The Hellenistic Jews are those who are Greek Jews. Those who adopted the language and the customs of the Greeks. They are contrasted with the Hebraic Jews. The Hebraic Jews were those who spoke Aramaic. They were those who understood the Hebrew Bible. Kind of classical Jews. And you can only imagine that along with that may have came a sense of superiority, at least a slight one. Well, there's a struggle. There's a tension between the Hebraic Jews and the Hellenistic Jews. You see, this growth in the church is causing these people to come up against each other and rub elbows with each other. And then there's a struggle that comes up. The struggle struggle for the Hellenistic Jews to understand Hebrew and Aramaic And and, and for them, they form their own synagogues. It's referred to as the synagogue of freedmen. And the issue that brings everything to surface is the lack of care. The missed opportunity to care for the poorest, the widows in their midst. And that tension has to be addressed. You see, growth in the church will always produce some challenges. Some things to come about. So here's what I would tell you. As we prepare and we look ahead and we pray for growth in the church we should also be praying that we would be one. That we would be unified. Because those new challenges that come about through growth will always want to threaten the unity of the church. So let's speak specifically to Christ's church. Listen, regardless of whether you're an older person or a younger person, we need to be unified. We need to be centered on Jesus. We need to be one in Him. Certainly we should sharpen one another. Certainly, we should respect one another and hear from one another and be taught by one another, but we need to be one. Also, whether you worship in the modern service or the more traditional service, we need to be one. There's so much at stake here. And we as a church have to constantly be fighting towards, being uh, focused on, being one in Jesus Christ. Because whenever there is growth, and we're hoping, we're praying, we're trusting God for a season of growth where people are coming to know Jesus... Whenever that happens, new challenges will arise. So this tuck this away in your memory. There's a reminder here in the scripture that we must be one. I'll tell you this, in the church universal, if you don't, beyond Christ Church, I see in America today that that white Christians and black Christians have to be one. We have to be united. And you might say, oh, is he talking about CRT? Is he he woke? No, no, I'm talking about KRT. A kingdom of A kingdom race theology. That's what we're looking for. Where we are one in Jesus Christ. We understand that. So listen. We need to be one as a people. There's a reminder in the scriptures here. We have to fight. We have to pray. We have to strain to be one together. Let's be that people. That's a reminder we see here. So we see a reminder about growth and how it happens in cycles. We see a growth about the need for unity in the church. And then thirdly, you see a really important reminder, and that's this, the importance of prayer and the word. Did you catch what was happening in the church? Because of the growth, there was a new challenge introduced. The widows needed cared for. And so the leaders of the church said, you know what, we can't do it all. We need to be focused on the word and on prayer, and so they started to diversify and create some even divisions of service within the church. Listen, focusing on the prayer, on prayer and the word, will always be something that's important to us. There'll always be distractions, things that want to take our attention away from prayer and the word. You see this in your family, you see this in your workplace, and we certainly see it in our faith, don't you? There's always some distractions that want to take us away from the core tenets of the faith. Well, the disciples here have a reminder for us. And they say this, be focused on on prayer and on the word. We have to do this. We have to give attention to. That's what it says they did in the early church. It says they gave their attention to. We give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, you could say this also. They devoted themselves. That's what some translations say. They devoted themselves to. Or they gave themselves over continually to. This means that they were persisting in something. And they were persisting in their devotion to prayer and the Word. Now, the Word, hey, we're in it right now. And we could talk a lot about the Word. In fact, next week in the sermon, we're going to talk about being in the Word. But let's just talk about prayer for a moment. Prayer. You know, we're going to have this prayer and care team available today. I wonder what that entailed for them to be giving their attention to prayer. For them to be devoting themselves to prayer and giving themselves over continually to prayer. I wonder what that entailed. Here's my guess. I surmise that was more than what our modern uh, experience in the church accommodates. In other words, you know, we might pray for a few minutes of time together as a body. Maybe sometimes we pray for an hour as a body. My sense is this. That this people, this early church, set a standard for us. And they spent not just an hour and minutes in prayer. They spent days in prayer. All the ministry of the church was saturated with prayer. And so listen, there's a high bar set for us. And if we want to see that growth, and if we really want to be one, there's this devotion, there's this focus on the ministry of prayer that we've got to have. We've got to get back to the roots and to the focus that we do. I thank these early church leaders for this reminder. And today we have an opportunity to participate in that. You're going to have that prayer and care opportunity. We want to be people that are serious, devoting ourselves, continually giving ourselves over to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Okay, so you got those reminders, right? The reminders we see in this backdrop. And what's going on in the church is that there's growth. And we know the growth comes in cycles. We see that there's some challenges happening. That there's some division that's threatening this, this church. It's a reminder for us to be unified. We see that as the church expands, it's really easy to get away from the basics. Like prayer and, and, the, and the ministry of the word. And so they're focusing in on that. It's a good reminder for us. Let's go back to the text and pick up in verse 8. And let's hear about this guy named Stephen who's been chosen as a leader within the church. Now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicilia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. Here's that division. Here's the challenges coming up. But they could not stand up against the wisdom of the Spirit Gave him as he spoke, and then secretly, persuaded by some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law, and they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus will destroy this place and change the customs of Moses handed down to us. So here we have Stephen. And I would suggest to you that Stephen is the kind of guy that we see described in the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 16, verse 20. Here's what it says in Matthew 16, 20. As you read about Stephen, he reminds me of, of this really prophecy, I suppose, about the church or this description of the early followers of Jesus. This is after Jesus' resurrection. The disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. You see, these people were going out into the streets, to the highways and byways, and they were preaching the gospel. And it was accompanied by these great wonders and signs. And Stephen is a guy in that mold, cut from that cloth. He was a great man. He's a man who who challenges the church. Stephen is a person. I want you to look at his life. Consider it for yourself. He encourages the church. He shows us how to proclaim Jesus. He also shows us how to live. And he shows us how to die. We're going to get into all that. Now, he was chosen. He was chosen. And we see this reflected in verse 5. And the reason he was chosen to be a part of this group of seven was that he was two things. Full of the Holy Spirit and he was full of faith. Those are the reasons he was chosen. I think it's interesting. He was not chosen because of his bloodlines. He was not chosen because of his pedigree, or any of that stuff. And that should encourage all of us. Because you know what that means? Ordinary radicals. And he's the poster child, remember? He sets the mark. Ordinary radicals aren't ordinary radicals because of their bloodlines or their pedigree. It's because of faith. It's because the Spirit of God in us. And we see this in Stephen. And Stephen is an evangelist. He's one who proclaims the good news about Jesus. He shares the gospel. He's also one who's an apologist. I'll talk about that in just a moment, a little bit. And he's a teacher. Now, how does this guy become this way? Because listen, Stephen puts the ordinary in ordinary radical. Again, no pedigree. No no royal bloodlines. None of that. Well, how does he become this great evangelist and apologist and legendary figure? How's it happen? I'll give you a parallel example: Oswald Chambers. Many of you are probably familiar with him. If you're not, you should write his name down and you should look up his book, his most famous work, which is My Utmost for His Highest. Great devotional; It'll be a good one to pick up and and start reading tomorrow. It's that good. And, and Oswald Chambers has an incredible story of coming to Christ. He was a teenager. And he went to hear the great preacher, Charles Spurgeon, at a gathering where he was, was, was sharing the gospel and, and almost like a little revival. Well, on the way home, uh, Chambers was walking with his father on the sidewalk and he was lamenting that he had missed the opportunity to commit himself to Jesus. To surrender his life to God. And his father stopped as they were and he said, wait... You don't need to be in a church service in order to surrender your life to God. You don't need to be in a church service to take the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. You can do that right here. And so on the sidewalk of London, he gave himself to Jesus. I love that because here's a parent, right, intricately involved, guiding their child toward the Lord. We can do that. If you're a parent, God by his spirit can give you that kind of of wisdom and that kind of power to influence your child's life. Not only that, I I love that there's this decision for Jesus in Chambers' life that's really important. But here's how it informs how we understand Stephen and and how he becomes this great man of faith. You see, what happened, I believe, with, with, with Spurgeon is this. Not only did he commit his life to Christ as a teenager, he was only 15 years old. He immediately, and when I say immediately, really, immediately, he immediately began to preach on the streets of England. He got right in the game. He didn't wait until he had a degree. He didn't wait until he had more experience. He didn't wait until he sat in some Sunday school class. And we love Sunday school classes, by the way. He got right involved in ministry. He got in the game. And how does Stephen become this kind of guy? How does this happen? How does he become so powerful, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit? I have to imagine that his story is something like Oswald Chambers. Because here's the thing, keep in mind. Only a couple of years at this point in the text, only a couple of years have transpired since the death and resurrection of Jesus and the birth of the church. We're not talking 10 years or 20 years, or 50 years, no, like at most two or three years. Stephen became a follower of Jesus, and he became a leader of the church, and it happened in, in, in fashion that was quick. And this is by the power of God. And I have to believe that Stephen was a guy who got in the game. He got involved in the life of the church. He started in ministry, like Chambers, he started preaching on the streets. And so there's a lesson for us today. Look, you don't have to wait for years. Young adults, you don't have to wait until someday when you're older and wiser. Get in the game. Get involved. Begin to minister. Chambers did that. I believe Stephen did that. And I think there's an example for us. Yes, we want you to learn. Yes, we want you to sit under under good teaching. But ultimately, get in the game. For those of you who have been here for a long time or been a part of the church for a long time, look, it's time to get in the game. You want to grow? You want to be a person full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit? The best way to do that is to get in the game. That's what ordinary radicals do. And we see that's what Stephen did. Now, Stephen faces this opposition from the Hellenistic Jews. By the way, probably his own synagogue, his own people. And he faces these false accusations of heresy. And then he's arrested and charged before the Sanhedrin. If you flip over... To chapter 7 you'll see that there's a long speech that that Stephen engages in and I would assign this to you and give you a little homework to actually read this speech I'm gonna actually fast forward through about 50 verses here because we can't take the time right now to do it but I'd love to unpack it with you at another time 7 verses 1 through 50 is this great speech before the Sanhedrin and he's not a defend, he's not defending himself against the charges he's not trying to be released No, he responds to their charges with an indictment. And the indictment that he gives them is this. He speaks the truth, spiritual truth, to the powers that be, regardless of consequences. And he gives the people in these 50 verses or so a rundown of Israel's history. And he does this as a way of responding to their their charges and opposing the Jews' rejection of Jesus. This is the apologetics. This guy was fascinating, and he understood. He knew the Word. He knew the Scriptures. Even as a young follower of Jesus. And he gives a rundown of the history of Israel. He starts with the patriarchs. He talks about Moses and the law. You'll see these sections when you study this. And then he talks about the tabernacle and the temple. And all this argument he presents, this apologetical argument, and then he says in verse 52, and that's where we're going to pick up, he says to them, as he stands before the Sanhedrin, he says, was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. I want to stop there because you can underline Righteous One, capital R, capital O in your Bible because I think it's such an awesome title for the Righteous One. You know who they're talking about, Jesus Christ. I love that title for Jesus. It's actually used several times in the book of Acts. And there's prophecies that describe Jesus as one who is righteous. And I think that's fitting because Jesus is upright, he is holy, blameless. Jesus is just. And here's why this title, this is why it's worth pausing for. Here's why this title is so important. Righteous One, it's because of what it says in 1 John uh, chapter 2.1. Look on the screens here. I want you to read this, okay? Dear children, this is the book of John. Why is Righteous One so important? Look at this. Dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, if anyone does sin, how about when you sin? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, who the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for your sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. The righteous one. I imagine it like this. This is kind of a crude way to express this, but but I think it it helps us understand. You know, it's like uh, we have a running tab. You see, sin has a price. The sins committed yesterday, the sins committed in all the years past, the sins that are committed looking forward, the sins that are committed in the present, our sin has a price. Our sin has a cost. And it's as if you and I are running up a tab. You ever done that? You ever checked in a hotel and they, hey, would you like us to open up a tab for you with that credit card? Sure, go ahead and do that. And you stop and you have a meal and you and you order some room service and all these things. And then you go to checkout and you have the checkout shock because you don't realize how much you've spent during the couple days you've been in the hotel and you regret the fact that you opened up that tab. Sin's a lot like that. You're running up a tab and someday you're going to have to pay that bill. You're going to be held accountable for that bill. And it's going to be more than you can afford. It's going to be more than you can cover. But here's the great thing. Jesus picks up the tab. The righteous one. He who was righteous died for the unrighteous. The godly for the ungodly as the scripture says. And so we have this righteous one. That's why this is so important. All of of Stephen's argument is summed up in this. Jesus is the righteous one. Bow to him. Give yourself to him. He can accomplish what you can never ever do on your own. He can pick up the tab that you can never pay. Look at 1 Peter 3.18. I've already alluded to it. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. To bring you to God. He's the righteous one, though he had no sin, though he knew no sin, he became sin, so he could pick up our tab. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Listen, when it comes to Jesus, this righteous one, like Oswald Chambers' dad wisely said, you don't have to wait till the service is over. You don't have to be in the church building. You don't have to necessarily do it in a way that that, that seems like it's the right way to do it. There is no right way. You come to Jesus. Wherever you are, if you're watching online, there's an opportunity for you to come to Jesus, to to give your life to the righteous one, the one who picks up your tab, the tab that you can never pay. You can come to, to Jesus and give your life, surrender yourself to the righteous one, the righteous Who died for the unrighteous. The godly one. Who died for the ungodly. He picks up the tab. You don't have to wait. In fact right now. In your heart and your mind. You can say. I need. The righteous one. Jesus Christ in my life. We don't have to make this fancy. There are no magic words. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the righteous one. Ask him to pick up your tab. Ask him to pay the bill that you can never pay. I love it, Stephen and his brilliance, inspired by God, empowered by the Spirit, points us to Jesus Christ. And listen, we got to pick that up. We've we got to look at that and consider the righteous one. Let's go ahead and finish off this text with a few more uh, verses. Look at verse 54. So he tells them, look, you betrayed and murdered Jesus. He's the one that's been sent to save you. He is the righteous one. And when, pick it in verse 54, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they weren't happy. They were furious. They gnashed their teeth at him like wild animals. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. God gave him spiritual eyes in that moment. Look, Stephen said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, when they heard this, here's what they did, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. Listen to this. Like little children, they covered their ears. Nah, I don't want to hear it. Can you picture a child doing this? They covered their ears. It it reminds me of when our little girls were were babies. And and in the middle of the night, they would wake up. And I wouldn't hear them. I'd sleep right through it. It was like a a, a spiritual gift I had to sleep through the night. (laughs) My wife did not think it was a spiritual gift. (laughs) She would not describe it in those terms. Somehow I stopped up my ears, right? They're stopping up their ears. And here's what I would say. As I think about this, there are some people who stop their hear ears, who cover their ears from hearing truth without literally putting their hands over their ears. There are some who, who protest the truth and they say, hey, hey that doesn't fit the way I want to believe. That doesn't fit the way I want to live my life. And they stop me. I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear this. <sighs> Listen. Don't be like those guys, the righteous one, the Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Don't cover your, if you're covering your ears, would you at least just be open to the truth of God's word? Here's what I would do. I pray that the Holy Spirit right now would give you an openness to his truth. You know, last week, Pastor Ed said, hey, write down five names and, and invite these people to church and invite them to light tonight." We want you to do that. And as you do, would you pray over those names and pray that, that God, through his Holy Spirit, would give those five people an openness to the truth of God's word? I love that we see that here. Don't cover up your ears. And then finishing off the story, verses 58 through, through 60. After they had covered up their ears and they started shouting him and they rushed at him, they dragged out him out of the city. Okay, imagine that. Dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. They were throwing rocks, heavy rocks, at him with the intent of killing him. So many rocks to hit him at one time, they would bludgeon him to death. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him Stephen prayed Lord Jesus receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out Lord do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this a euphemism he fell asleep. He breathed his last. He died. It's You know, you hear the the term beautiful death. That sounds like an oxymoron. But I think this is an example of such an ending to human life. It was a beautiful death. And you see Jesus echoed in this. I mean, consider Luke 24, 46, where Jesus says, Father, into my hands I commit my spirit. What does Stephen say? Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He's imitating Jesus even in his death. And then again in, in Luke 23, we hear Jesus say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they are doing. And what does does Stephen say? Just like his master, just like Jesus. He says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Stephen, right to the end, all the way to the death, seeking to be like Jesus. What an example for all of us. Okay, so I promised a takeaway. And here it is. The takeaway is this. I I think it's clear for me as I thought about this this week and I prayed about it. And I hope this is clear to you. The takeaway is that ordinary radicals make a stand. I mean, consider the entire life of Stephen. Consider what we've looked at briefly this morning. Ordinary radicals make a stand. Stephen made several stands, even this morning we've seen. He stood out to the apostles before we even pick up the story. He did something to stand out to the disciples. He stood out. I'm sorry, he stood for the widows. He made a stand. Before the Sanhedrin, he stood on the Word. He stood in prayer. He made his stand on Jesus, even becoming like him in his death. Stephen took a stand. Ordinary radicals make a stand. And I love this, that that as Stephen made his final stand, the Bible let us in on a very important detail. It's foreshadowing for, for what's to come as we turn the pages in the New Testament. Did you hear? There's a young man named Saul who witnessed every bit of Stephen making his stand. And I have to believe that Stephen, in his example, his stand, was a part of the full story of God's conversion And radical transformation. And the life of Saul turning to Paul. Isn't that amazing? That stand made such a difference. And so look, is the takeaway, be willing to die? Is that the takeaway of Stephen? Well, I guess that's an application. But I think more more tangible for us. It doesn't have to look like being willing to die. I think more likely for us today, it looks like being willing to live for Jesus. That's what Stephen Was willing to do. He was willing to live for Jesus regardless of the cost, no matter what it would take. He stood and so, look, for you, would you be willing to live for Jesus? Would you be willing to make a stand for Jesus in every situation that you find yourselves in, in your family? That might be the most difficult place to make a stand. In your relationships, in your community, to make a stand for Jesus. You have no idea who may be watching. You have no idea which Saul might be influenced by you making a stand for Jesus. You have no idea the legacy that your actions can leave. Stephen probably had no idea that we'd be talking about him 2,000 years later. And he models how we take a stand. You might wonder, well, how do I take a stand? He models it for us. He did it in meekness. Did you notice that? On one hand, he's really bold. On the other hand, He's incredibly gentle. He was literally on his knees. Isn't that interesting? Making a stand on his knees. Connected to the power of God. And so look, I invite you. I challenge you. To like Stephen. Make a stand. And God will sort out what that looks like. Here's how you can start today. Our prayer and care team is going to be available back here. And if you say, hmm. I need the strength to make a stand. Well then while that song plays, have the faith. Have the boldness, the gentleness, the humility. You go back and say, would you pray for me? I'm having difficulty making a stand in my life. Maybe you'll go back and say, look, I need to, I need to ask God for forgiveness. I have failed to make stands in my life over and over again. Would you pray with me? Maybe, maybe today will be the day you say, you know what? I'm going to stand up for the first time and say, I believe in Jesus, the righteous one. I need him in my life. I need his power. I need him to pick up my tab. You can go back and our people would love to pray with you as you make those stands. Listen, the prayer team, this prayer and care team, they're able to pray for any need you have. Maybe it's nothing I've mentioned. You could take that step of faith and go back there as we sing this song. I'll leave you with this. There's a song that came to my mind and heart as I was preparing for this message. It's probably familiar with a lot of you. It's called The Stand. And then the song, The Stand. It asks a rhetorical question, what could I say? What could I do but offer this heart, oh God, completely to you? That's what a stand looks like. And the song goes on and says, so I'll stand with hearts high Hands high, rather. Heart abandoned. In awe of the one, the righteous one, who gave it all. I'll stand. Lord, my life to you surrendered. All I have is yours. Oh, I pray that you would be willing to stand like Stephen for the righteous one. Knowing that everything belongs to him. So would you rise to your feet? Literally stand right now. And let this standing... Be emblematic of the stand that we are to make as a church, as a people to Jesus Christ. Our prayer and care team is ready. Would you take the step of faith and go and receive prayer for a variety of ways? Brad and the team are going to lead us in this song. Let's give our praise to God. Let's make our stand in faith by Jesus Christ.